Welcome back to the Real Life Theology Podcast. My name is Chris. Great to be back with you again today. Over these last six weeks, we've been doing a series on male and female roles in the church and in the home and what that looks like. And Bobby and Renee have done an awesome job teaching on this and going really deep into this series and into this topic. So hopefully you can take it, use what you learned in your church and be able to know how we should view this topic, what to believe, what the Bible says, and we can honor King Jesus with that. In today's episode, Bobby Harrington is teaching on another really difficult topic of transgenderism. He digs into what the Bible says about how God created men and women and what the identity of our gender really means. He also talks about how we can love people who are struggling with this in the midst of dealing with it and really show Christ-like love. Let's go and check this out today, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Real Life Theology Podcast. Now, before I pray, let me kind of lay down uh, some foundations here. Uh, first is a lot of a lot of conversation in our world today about love. We're going to talk about this expression: "Love is love." Has anybody ever heard that before? Love is love. Just me. <laughs> okay. Well, you know how you define words is really important. Because people can use words that mean totally different things. So I want to give you the best definition of love. And we've worked really hard at this for many decades. The best definition of love by Jesus. And it's epitomized by Jesus, who John chapter 1 said, came from the Father full of grace and truth. So we define love uh, as grace and truth in action with grace leading. What that means is that in our relationships with people, grace is going to be the leading edge. When we first meet somebody, when we have to deal with anything, grace, which is uh, spontaneous giving and love and kindness and mercy and goodness, that's, that's, how we, that's the leading edge of how we live our lives. But truth is also a really important part of it. So we want to be people who are 100% grace and 100% truth, again, with grace, the leading edge. So when the, when the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, uh, that uh, whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life, that's grace leading. Like, let me tell you about Jesus. Well, God so loved us, he sent Jesus. That's why grace is the leading edge of our definition of, of love. Secondly, uh, <clears throat> historically, so uh, many people here, when you grew up, uh, your sex was equivalent to your gender. So if you had, uh, you know, if you were born a biological boy, you were a boy. If you were born a biological girl, you were a girl. And um, not too long ago, some uh, influential, frankly, people who don't know Jesus and don't know Scripture decided that this was going to change. And now, in the last 10 years, and you see this really strongly, your sex does not equal your gender. So who you are biologically may not be who your gender is. And in fact, now your feelings are your gender. So if a boy feels like he's a girl, he's a girl. If a girl feels like she's a boy, she's a boy. And uh, that is the new common cultural understanding. Uh, It's the air we live, uh, the air that we live in, we breathe, 
and it dominates our thinking. And because of that understanding, uh, there is uh, something called gender dysphoria that's really rampant right now. And gender dysphoria is the feeling that your biological sex does not match your gender. And uh, uh, the numbers are growing astronomically. Like in the last 10 years, it's increased by 10. So these are recent statistics, and I'd like you to pay attention to ages 18 to 29. Uh, 10 years ago, if you would have uh, done this study, you would have found that 0.6%, so that's less than 1%, 0.6% would identify as uh, a trans man or a woman or non-binary. Look at that number now. It's 5.1% in the 18 to 29-year range. That means that 1 in 20, just think of this, 1 in 20 people in most high schools and in that age group is identifying um, as trans. And we also know that if you just take the, um, the acronym LGBTQ+, 21% of Gen Z, which is 18 to 27, 21% are now identifying as this, okay? So obviously, it's a very important conversation. I know when I'm speaking this morning that there are people in the audience here uh, that you and your families will have people uh, struggling this as, with this, and we want to really speak uh, wisely, carefully, but biblically uh, to honor God with the way we think and the way we uh, believe and the way we live our lives. Now, before I pray, <clears throat> I want to say this. Uh, the idea that I am different than my biology is a terrible thing when somebody has to wrestle through it. Uh, it was about 30 years ago, I was invited to go and speak at a conference. Uh, this is when I was living in Canada, and I uh, was invited to Ontario to speak at a conference. And we had some friends, long-term friends, uh, from our days at Harding University, actually, who lived there, and so they asked me to come and stay with them. And, and I did. And um, so I spoke, and then that night... Uh, the wife got home before the husband, and she said, good, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, okay. And uh, here's what she said. Uh, I'll just use the name. It was, his name wasn't Ted, but I'm going to say his name said. She said, I got to talk to somebody. Every night, I will either find Ted sneaking my underwear, my stockings, and my dresses and wearing them, or sometimes uh, uh, he'll just do it, and he knows that I know it. And I don't know what to do about it. And uh, here's the thing you need to know about the guy that I'm calling Ted. He's a really godly man. Raising godly kids, loves Jesus, following Jesus, but he didn't know what to do with the feelings of desiring to be a woman and the compulsion to dress like a woman. And um, I'm telling you this to begin with, because let's take our definition of love for a second. Love is grace and truth in action with grace leading the way. So, of course, the first thing we want to do is be gracious and compassionate and merciful about that struggle for this man and anyone who has it. 
because the only response initially is grace. But truth also matters. So let's talk about the truth. But first, let's pray. Kind God, we come to you in Jesus' name this morning. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit and your presence, that God, you would be our true leader in this church, that King Jesus is our Lord and our master, and King Jesus has given us his word. We know what King Jesus wants us to do because he teaches us in Scripture. So may the word of God be the way we define truth and grace and love, and may that guide each one of us this morning. God, I pray that we walk out of here as genuine disciples of Jesus who uphold the way of King Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. So I want to start off by uh, talking about this uh, expression, love is love, because it tends to be the uh, the thing that uh, obliterates any argument against anything else, like, like here, here's here's what how it's used. Uh, let's let's talk about a sexual issue or a moral issue um, that's popular with the progressives. Now, we have been talking in the series. By the end of July, we'll be done the book Resilient. We typically go through books of the Bible, and we'll get back to that in September. But we've been studying and saying, what does Scripture say? about these cultural issues. Well, here's a, here's a big cultural issue. The big cultural issue is that you've got to be a loving, merciful person, right? Like, like above all else, be loving, compassionate, and merciful. Does everybody get that? Okay. And uh, so this expression, love is love, is the trump card of that. So you're uncomfortable with homosexuality? Well, love is love. You're uncomfortable with um, a lesbian couple, love is love. You're uncomfortable with somebody who looks like a boy but tells you that they're a girl. Well, love is love. Now, I've already told you, and I just I can't say it enough, we've got to be compassionate and loving to all people, to all strugglers, okay? So, so part of it's right, but it's really wrong and really bad because what it means when you say love is love is that if you think anything is wrong, you're a hater. And if you're a hater, we don't like you. Here's how I define it. When people say, oftentimes in these conversations, love is love, what they're really saying is, if you do not accept everything like us, if you do not accept all these moral behaviors like we do, then you're a hater. And we hate haters. The one thing that you, the only person you can hate in our culture today is a hater. It's okay to hate the haters. So if you, if I can define you as a hater, I can hate you and I can mistreat you. I can say that you're judgmental. I can say all kinds of manner of bad things about you. I can censor you. I can cancel you because you're a bad person. All under the banner of love is love. Now, I want to show you a clip that uh, was popular about a month ago by Charlize Theron, who is, uh, like, I love Charlize Theron in movies, especially when she's, you know, whooping up on all those bad people. And, uh, you know, I just love her in movies. But I really think that Satan has a foothold in her mind. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. But she is a chief prophetess 
of progressive religion that is anti-Christian and destroys that which is good in human beings. And under her beliefs, human beings would not thrive. Progressivism robs, kills, and destroys because it comes from the father of lies who comes to rob, kill, and destroy. Just, just want to say that. By the way, as I was preparing for this, there are so many things I want to say, uh, but so little time. So if, if you want to have a conversation about any of this afterwards, like if you don't like what I'm saying, if you have a hard time with what I'm saying this morning, first of all, you don't have to agree with me. I'm just trying to point to Scripture and what Jesus says. I would love to have a conversation with you about these teachings if you struggle with them, because I'm just trying to point to the way of Jesus. Now back to Charlize Theron. I'd like you to watch this. Our team tried to bleep out. There's a square word as she begins, and the team tried to bleep it out. You might be able to see her lips moving, and you know what she says. Pretend you don't. Um, But what she's doing is she starts off with, she's a champion of love is love, but she starts off with hate for people she defines as haters. So she would have hate for somebody like me with, with what I'm going to try to say about the way and teaching of Jesus. Now, Charlize Theron, when her uh, daughter, I think I've got this right, when her daughter was three or four, uh, identified as a boy, so she transitioned the three or four-year-old to a boy. So she has a, a child that's 11, I believe it is now, who's living as a boy, but it's a biological girl. So she, she's sold out. She's a prophetess of progress, the, the religion of progressivism. And I want you to catch how she talks about love, but really it's a cloak for hate if you don't agree with her. Watch this. Here with my friends. Yes. We love you, Queen. We love, love you, Queen. We've got you, and I want anybody up who's like trying to do anything with you guys. It's really, in all seriousness, there's so many things that are hurting and really killing our kids, and we all know what I'm talking about right now. And it ain't no drag queen, because if you've ever seen a drag queen lip sync for her life, yep. it only makes you happier, it only makes you love more. It makes you a better person. If I could do a death drop right now, I would. But I would probably, like, break my hip. But, and I, yes! Listen, I want to ask everybody out there, please, please support all the great organizations that are out there helping all of this nonsense going away like it should. All of these incredibly stupid policies. Bye. Bye! Bye! No more room for hate! Only love... And love equals drag queen! So if we don't agree, then we are haters. And I just want to have a different definition. Love is grace and truth in action. And that includes God's truth, but it's, it's grace leading. Now, to make our time efficient, let me just give you a, this is kind of a, a preface to what God's word says about these things so that you know where we're going. Number one, most do not choose their condition if they have gender dysphoria. We're going to talk about the rap, uh, it's called rapid onset gender dysphoria. We're going to talk about how this is a new phenomenon not seen uh, in history until recently. So I'm going to come and talk to you about that. But I'm talking about true people with gender dysphoria. Uh, they did not choose it. Uh, most suffer immense pain because of it. So if you truly have gender dysphoria, it is a very painful, difficult thing. Just as uh, someone, and I want to point back 
to last week's sermon by J.P. Robinson, which he did a great job talking about what the scripture says about homosexuality. A lot of people do not choose their same-sex attraction. And uh, when they when they rightfully uh, follow Jesus and we, we help them with that, it can be very difficult uh, for people. In fact, I wish I had more time to talk to you about this. Just uh, so many of us have naive views of human life. We don't realize that many people live lives of quiet desperation because they're, they're just, for various reasons, things are just messed up. Sometimes physiologically, things are messed up. You know, this side of Eden where uh, the curse affected every part of life. It affects uh, not just uh, biological things, uh, where people can have diseases and cancer and, uh, you know, there are tornadoes and all that. But in our inner worlds, we can be messed up. And we have to live our lives that way. And, and we can think that somehow we're just bad people because of our struggles. The struggle does not make you a bad person. It's acting out and living out that which is contrary to God's word. And there are so many people living as heroes in our midst, uh, privately, by themselves, faithfully following Jesus, but with desires they do not want. And our job is to love and help them and support them as they live those lives. But that does not mean trying to alter reality. Number three, gender dysphoria itself is not a sin, but a disordered condition. I want to give you an analogy for uh, gender dysphoria. Uh, if somebody has anorexia nervosa, they, they believe that their body, uh, that is the physical reality of their body, doesn't match uh, how they feel internally. So somebody with anorexia nervosa can believe they're fat when they're actually starving to death. Now, what we don't do with them is we don't tell them, well, you're right, you know, your body, your, your body is fat. No, we try to help them see, wait, you've got disordered uh, impressions, you've got disordered thinking here. Well, likewise, there are people who uh, they think that they're a boy in a woman's body. And it, it calls for compassion, but also the realization that uh, there's um, there's some kind of uh, mutation or something like that going on, and we just have to help them to follow the way of Jesus. Now, I do want to talk about the increase in the number of dys uh, dysphoria, but let me come back to that in just a second. Number four, many children grow out of gender dysphoria. So with the, with the, the high explosion of rapid onset gender dysphoria, in your typical uh, junior high today across the land, there is just an explosion of the number of uh, uh, boys who think they're girls, girls who think they're boys, that's happening all over the land. Now, most of it, because the increase is times 10, uh, the increase being so significant, it's more because of cultural factors, it's more because of that which is cool, it's more because of identifying with an oppressed group, and a transgender person is an oppressed group. You can be cool by being an oppressed group of the transgenderism. And there's another huge factor here, uh, and that is the influence of demonic thinking that's taking a foothold in our country. So at the end of the first service, uh, uh, we have a, a man who's a part of the church who's consulted with church leaders across the country. He's a trained counselor, and uh, he came up to me afterwards, and, and he said, Bobby, in the second service, I just encourage you, he's a good friend, so he could do this. I just encourage you to talk more about the demonic roots of this stuff. 
What's happening in this country around LGBTQ issues is totally demonic. Satan is getting a foothold in the way people think, and there's so much pressure to go along with it right now. We're going to have to really be tough-minded. So number five, uh, I, I said this in the first service. Let me say it again now. If you have a child and your child is a three, four, five, six, 17-year-old who's, who, who uh, says they identify with the opposite uh, sex from their biological body, uh, what we do as parents is we train them to say no to those thoughts, feelings, and desires. No, God made you as a boy, and God wants you to live as a boy, so we want to help you. I love you, and I want to help you to live as a boy. Live the way God made you, the way God created you, because that's ultimately how you will honor God and live out the truth uh, of this world and the truth in Jesus. Does that make sense? Have you ever wondered what the Bible says about male and female roles in the church? Maybe you have felt unsure of how what the Bible says about this lines up with modern culture. Is it even applicable today? If you have felt this way, we encourage you to go to YouTube and search Male and Female, A Biblical Look at Gender. This is a special six-part series produced by Renew.org to help Christians navigate what the Bible says about this polarizing topic and how to apply these teachings in your context today. If you would like to listen to this series, go to your preferred podcast platform and search the Real Life Theology Podcast, and they're becoming available there as well. If you would like all this great content in book form, you can go to Amazon.com and look up Male and Female, A Biblical Look at Gender to purchase Renee Sproul's new book with all this great information in it. We just highly encourage you to check that out and grab a copy today as well and share this series with anybody who may be struggling with this topic, who wants more clarity about how to understand it, apply it, and follow King Jesus more clearly today. So we don't cater to it or let it make us fearful. We proactively say, oh, I love you, son, but God made you a boy and I'm so glad you're a boy. Let me help you to dress like a boy and live like a boy and be the boy God made you to be, okay? Uh, number five, many simply live with the pain. A true uh, person with gender uh, dysphoria will need to help them as we help other people to learn to live with the pain by being faithful to King Jesus, remembering this world is not our home, that utopia in heaven is in the next world, and in this world we want to live fulfilled lives faithful to King Jesus. Number six, Scripture leads us to say no to the practice of transgendered behavior. And then number seven, Scripture leads us to love and help those with gender dysphoria live out the sexual identity of their birth, even when it's hard. Okay? So that's kind of the big picture. Let me walk you through some really crucial passages to begin with. First off, uh, and, and there's just four basic, I'm sorry, three basic uh, clear-cut uh, scriptural principles. The first one is God only created two genders. Genesis chapter 1, 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There is a gender binary, Male or female? Uh, let me mention this because it sometimes comes up. Uh, uh, 0.018%, about one in 2,000 children are, boy, are born with gender, uh, like biological confusion. 
And uh, doctors will, now they'll do genetic tests and all of that. In the past, sometimes surgeons, uh, or not surgeons, but uh, those who were there when the child was born would just have to make a, a choice about it. Uh, these are also probably the eunuchs that Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 19. They've been there throughout history. But there's such a small percent that normally we wouldn't even talk about it. But I do want to mention it because it can be a reality. Again, sometimes people have to live lives with great difficulty, and we want to help them and support them in the great difficulties with which they live. But Scripture teaches a gender binary, either male or female. Jesus, when he was asked about this, uh, points it out in Matthew chapter 19. He, He reminds everybody, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them, that's human beings, male and female? And then he couples it with the normative path, which is into marriage. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So you have this physical complementarity that is to be joined together. That physical complementarity creates the one fleshness of marriage and the family as God intended. Number two, uh, Scripture teaches it is disgraceful for a man to act like a woman. Now, about three or four weeks ago, we had an in-depth conversation on a Sunday afternoon, and we did a deep dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm just going to quote part of it here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I mentioned that we did a deep dive about a month ago. You can go on YouTube and watch that. By the way, our sermons moving forward will not be on YouTube. Last week's wasn't, this week isn't, uh, because the odds are YouTube is going to... uh, shut us down because of these teachings, because it's so contrary to the progressive ideals that guide YouTube and Google. Uh, well, YouTube is Google and Facebook. And we just got to realize we're living in a world where the teachings of Scripture are no longer considered acceptable. Uh, and, and many of the things that you are going to hold to and I'm going to hold to, you're going to be persecuted for. So we want to be wise about that. Anyway, However, these teachings uh, that we put on YouTube about a month ago, you can go there. They're still up there. We'll keep those on YouTube, and you can do a deep dive on 1 Corinthians 11. Here's what's going on in 1 Corinthians 11. God is inspiring the Apostle Paul to guide the church in Corinth somewhere around 53 AD. And he's writing to them, and he's wanting them to understand the different roles that God designed for men and women. God designed different roles in the home and in the church. And in the church, there is a a leadership role, a headship role that God ordained for qualified men. When in the church in Corinth, they were praying and prophesying, both men and women would pray and prophesy, it was very important that they honor gender distinctions. And at one point, Paul says these words, And he's writing as though he didn't have to tell them this, they knew this. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? Now, here's what he's not doing. He's not commenting like in our times when many men have long hair. And they have long hair, it can look good on a man. Okay, But in the ancient world, when a man wore long hair like that, he was trying to look like a woman. By the way, it's so funny. Cindy and I were talking about this yesterday, all the pictures of Jesus with long hair. Like, no, 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 they didn't do that, okay? 
uh, because the, the delineation between the sexes was so important. But here's what he says. Does not the very nature of things teach that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? Why? Because he's trying to look like a woman. And a man needs to be a man because God made him to be a man. A woman needs to look like a woman. But that if a woman has long hair, it is for her glory. Okay? And just to emphasize the point, Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear woman's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. It's kind of strong words, isn't it? Can I, this, this is Bobby Harrington's reflections personally here. I spent a lot of time this week uh, reading uh, the Old Testament, especially about the end times. <clears throat> and I just felt drawn back to Genesis. I'm going to show you something that happened in uh, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. But my personal reflection for us is that God uses really strong language around this. And I think a big part of that is so we won't mess around. Like this is not, the, the Bible does not teach that all sins are the same. People will say that, but the Bible doesn't teach that. Certain sins, like our sins against your body, and Jesus himself even said, such people for the sins they commit will be punished most severely. Well, sexual sins are a major thing in Scripture that God warns us about. And that's why he says here, God detests anyone who does that. Not, not that he detests the person. God loves the people who struggle with it. But it's acting on it and, and forcing that as the normative thing in a culture. God is very displeased with that. Number three, gender-affirming care is a lie is bodily mutilation. Now, I'm, I'm just going to speak with some passion here because I have passion around this. And some of you, you don't know this stuff, so I'm just going to tell you because if I don't tell you, the world doesn't want to tell you. Progressive religion doesn't want you to know. They don't want you to know what they really do to these little girls and these little boys, but it's terrible, it's mutilation that they can never recover from. And it's not loving to just act like, oh, it's just, you know, they call it bottom care. Uh, I'm going to send out an email. A, a medical doctor published in the New York Post actually what bottom care is in transgender surgery, and it will make you feel nauseous and sick. And it's not talked about because it's like such a, a lie from the pit of hell that if everybody knew about it, everybody would be against it. But it is not gender-affirming care. It's mutilation in the name of a false religion called progressivism that is going to destroy the lives of everybody who goes through it. And for every doctor uh, and every nurse involved in it, I just say, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and prophets. Don't do that to somebody, especially a child. It is like, like we have gone crazy as a culture, to let people do that to children. Now, I have a clip that actually describes this better than I can. So uh, about a year ago, Matt Walsh uh, published a documentary 
called What is a Woman? And uh, it was suppressed around, around the world. It was so weird. Uh, a lot of the really popular um, movie critics wouldn't even watch it because they, they, if they watched it, they would have to rate it. And then if they rated it, they, they were afraid, well, more people will watch it, but we want to hide it. So because they're so religious, you got to see this. They're so religious in this demonic religion that they're buying into, they wouldn't even review it. Well, over the last little while, it's, it's getting out to more and more people. I, I commend it to you as anybody who cares about the truth. You just watch it. Just watch it for yourself. But here's three minutes where a woman who transitioned as a man is describing the reality and trying to describe objectively in something we could show at church uh, what happens. Again, I'm going to send you uh, an email this week. I'm going to send you a link, and you check out what really happens with uh, gender mutilation surgery. I'm a biological woman that medically transitioned to appear like a male through synthetic hormones and surgery. I will never be a man. Is it transphobic for me to tell the truth? Why is it then a couple hundred years from now, if you dug up my body, they're going to go, yeah, that was a woman. Had babies. Can you tell me about the procedures that you, you had? I've had seven surgeries. I've had one stress heart attack. I've had a helicopter life ride uh, with a pulmonary embolism. I've had uh, 17 rounds of antibiotics. I had six inches of hair on the inside of my urethra for 17 months. Nobody would help me, including the doctor that did this to me because I lost my insurance. I get infections every three to four months. I'm probably not going to live very long. Was there any real discussion of the risks and the side effects? And No. No, there's not. And I know that people want to think that there is, but there's not. The truth is, is that medical transition is experimental. We have um, studies that said that medical transition helps mental health, helps mental health with kids. They've all been retracted, modified, changed. But the only long-term study tells us seven to ten years is when transgender people are the most suicidal. After? After surgery. But that's transphobic to say. For the first time in history, a marginalized group has a huge dollar sign on the top of their head. We have five children's hospitals in the United States promoting that. What? That's a phalloplasty. That's a bottom surgery. We have five children's hospitals in the United States telling girls that they can be boys at $70,000 a pop in a surgery that has a 67% complication rate. That will kill me from infection that I can't sue on. We're butchering a generation of children because nobody's willing to talk about anything. I have three kids at the age that they're doing this to kids. I'm not transphobic. I love my kids, and I love other people's kids, and you should too. This is wrong on so many levels. Can kids consent? Do you think kids are no. capable of consenting to this? No, they're not.
Can kids consent? I ran across this this week and I thought, this is so true. In the long run, the most unpleasant truth is a safer companion than a pleasant falsehood. You know, um, progressivism is ahead in where I grew up in Canada. I had a long conversation. My dad uh, is 89. Hi, Dad. He's probably watching right now. Uh, and he watches a lot of news, watches a lot of Canadian news. And uh, I have friends, uh, of course, dear friends from where I grew up, lived there till I was 36. And the Canadian government captured by progressivism, has censored all conversations around this. And in Canada, you don't even hear these conversations about what's actually happening. It is so demonic that you can't have open conversations about these realities. It is religious the way progressives shut down any dissent. It's not just religious, it's demonic. So a couple of comments just as uh, we're about to close. Oh, I wish, I wish we had more time. Like I'd love to have individual conversations about this. But let's just talk about posture first. Uh, friends, and this is our vision, we share the hope of Jesus. I just want to bring everybody back because it can feel unhopeful. Okay, uh, I am hopeful. Here's why I'm hopeful. Number one, uh, I'm always hopeful because it's way better to live by the truth. The truth is always in our best interests. Living lives of truth uh, is the only way to live with reality. And the biggest, most important truth is that Jesus Christ came to rescue us. The second thing is my identity is not in my sexuality or my sexual desires. My ultimate identity isn't even in my biological sex. My identity is I'm in Christ. You're in Christ. We are the redeemed. We are the loved of God. We are holy. We are righteous. We are saved. We are cleansed. Our identity has been uh, forever changed by Jesus And he's coming back for us. He's coming back to take us to the new heaven and new earth where King Jesus reigns and all things work out well. Nobody has disordered desires. Nobody has anorexia nervosa. Nobody is same-sex attracted. Nobody thinks they're a man in a woman's body. That in the new heaven and new earth, we will be whole. King Jesus will make us whole. There'll be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain for the curse is gone. And all the goodness of God will be fully transparent and experienced by all because Satan will have been destroyed. And between now and then, yeah, we can... And between now and then, we know that God's goodness is with us, surrounds us, even in the midst of our difficulties. Agreed? So we have this hope, and sometimes some of us have to be tough-minded and live lives uh, where we feel this quiet desperation within, but we're with brothers and sisters and the hope of Jesus. And that hope inspires us to live lives uh, of truth with others. And uh, I did say I was going to mention this, so I'm going I'm to add this at the end. 
This is the this is the uh, the pastoral heart in me who just wants to speak uh, a word about discernment right now. I felt compelled several times this week to go back to Genesis, and I, and I get like, okay, uh, tell me again the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking of this expressing love is love. And I went back to the the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, which, by the way, is repeated throughout the Old Testament and repeated throughout the New Testament to remind us of God's holiness and that sexual sin messes us up and messes up a culture and messes up people. By the way, you may not know this, but the reason all the people who were kicked out of the land of Canaan so that the Israelites could come in is because they were messed up sexually. Just read Leviticus 18. And it's a warning by God how sex, sexual, giving into sexual wrongness messes us up as a culture and as a people and as a family and as individuals. And that's why God's so strong on it. Anyway, if you go back to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it says uh, what they were doing was a, with their homosexuality was a great sin in God's sight. And so the angels go in there uh, and and. These angels are men, and so the men of Sodom want to have sex with them, and Lot says, no, please don't do this. Look at what what it says in Genesis 19.9. I just want you to catch this, because it's 4,000 years ago, but things haven't changed. This fellow, talking about Lot, this fellow came here, came to Sodom and Gomorrah as a foreigner. Now he, watch what they're saying about him. Now he wants to play the judge, because he's saying, don't do this. Back then they were saying, if you say don't do it, you're being judgmental and hateful. That was the primary default. You're a hater. You're a judgmental person. You're terrible, Lot. Well, was he? God was about to wipe them out and he was trying to help them. And then notice what they say next. To him, when he's trying to help them, we'll treat you worse than them. Not only are you a hater, but we're going to hate you and we're going to get you. I just want to call out from 4,000 years ago, the pattern of Satan. That's how he works. And that's what we should expect. And I know you don't want to hear it. I know people are saying, la, 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 I don't want to hear what he's saying. I'm trying to speak the truth. So I'll just end with these. Christians must teach people to live consistent with the biological gender that God gave them. There is a strong demonic foothold on LGBTQ issues that has been established in the USA. And we all should be very concerned about what that means spiritually of what God would let happen to the US that never happened before 2015. You, you just go and you, you read the book of Isaiah. You go and you read Leviticus 18. And you tell me if you should be worried about the USA. Because I am. But Christians must follow the truth over feelings and the doctrines of demons. It's, it's facts, not feelings. The truth of God, not the twisting of the demons. And then number four, we've got to help and support those who suffer with gender dysphoria. I, you know, there's, I, I concluded this morning, there's probably five to 10 people 
who are going to hear me, who are struggling with this. And I just want you to know we are with you. As a church, we want to be with you. We want to help anybody struggling with same-sex attraction, anybody struggling with gender dysphoria, anybody struggling with any disordered desire. We have to be there for each other. The desire and the feelings are not sin. It's acting on them as though they're reality that makes it sin. Thanks again for joining us on the Real Life Theology Podcast. Make sure to tune in next week. We're going to be starting our content from the 2023 National Gathering that we had up in Indianapolis. This is going to be great practical content you can take and use and apply in your ministry. So make sure to tune back in next week.